in the novel Black Cake, I think, you know, like a lot of things that we write, we don't necessarily answer questions. We are just asking more questions and we're exploring. Hello and welcome to The Right Question, a radio program and podcast featuring authors from the American West and beyond. Our funding comes from Humanities Montana and members of Montana Public Radio and from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. I'm Lauren Korn, speaking with novelist Charmaine Wilkerson, author of Black Cake, a novel about inheritances, small and profound, like a recipe for black cake, passed down from a mother to her children, learned by demonstration, conversation, and proximity. Black Cake is the story of a mother whose traumas and histories she hid from her children. Children who, after her death, are forced to confront their mother's past, as well as their own identities in light of such shocking revelations. Charmaine Wilkerson is from New York, has lived in Jamaica, and does much of her writing in Italy. Charmaine, welcome to The Right Question. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Let's start with an easy question, maybe, but one our listeners will want to know right off the bat. What is black cake? Black cake is this really good traditional Caribbean fruit cake, and it's made with fruit that's been soaked for months usually, ideally in rum and port. You know, everyone has a different recipe depending upon where you come from in the Caribbean. But the interesting thing about it is it really goes back to the English plum pudding. And so the black cake becomes a metaphor not only for all sorts of lovely things in the story called black cake, but also the fact that it has a story that isn't always told. And it's not always a positive story either because there had to be a lot of changes economically, politically, socially, for an English plum pudding from a few centuries ago to end up being this evolved Caribbean fruitcake in the present day. Yeah, and the characters in this book, uh, two specifically, they are interested in the indigeneity of food or the origins of food, specifically the black cake, but both Marble and Benny, they're both interested in food more broadly and the origins and how those origins come together, um, the combinations of different cultures. It's really clear that you have done so much research for this book, but I'm wondering where did your own interest in these ideas come from? Where did Black Cake begin and Black Cake the novel, just to to clarify? Well, Black Cake the novel really began without the cake. I didn't set out to write a story about cake or Black Cake or diaspora of food or any such thing. So I had a series of scenes and one of those scenes kept growing I thought they were short stories, but there was this one scene about these teenage girls who were swimming out in the in the sea in the 1960s off of the coast of Caribbean island, and they were obsessed with the sea, and they were very strong physically, and they were different from other girls, and they weren't quite going about their teen years in the way that other people expected them to. And so that gave birth to this story of people who were somehow running up against the expectations and stereotypes of other people. 
And these stories began to link to other stories like that because I'm fascinated by ideas of identity and shifting concepts of family and home. And all of a sudden, one day, in came the black cake. But the moment that the black cake appeared in this story, I realized where it was coming from. This goes back to your question. A few years before I wrote the novel, a younger member of my family wrote to me, texted me on my cell phone, asking for my mother's black cake recipe because she made a legendary black cake. She called it plum pudding, I call it rum cake, and my nephew called it black cake. So there you have this entire figure from my past, my own family, and it's just a cake. But it started me thinking about the ways in which each of us chooses to hold something close to our hearts and how we uh, inherit identity, a sense of family, a sense of a tradition, and, and the power of stories to convey these concepts. And often when it comes to stories, food is a language. Yeah? Not necessarily even the ingredients, but the preparing of the food, the production of the food, the being together in the kitchen. And all of that ends up in the novel Black Cake. And it began to grow and incorporate these two characters who were fascinated by food, but in different ways, as you might have noticed in reading the novel. How does your novel confront ideas of authenticity? Because we're talking about black cake as a colonizer's food, I suppose. We're talking about, um, when it comes to a couple of these characters, their skin color. We're talking about blackness. We're talking about this mother, Eleanor Bennett, living what might be considered an authentic life despite the many lives that she's had and had to leave behind. And so, yeah, I guess, how does your novel confront ideas of authenticity? And how do you imagine authenticity? How do you think about authenticity? In the novel Black Cake, I think, you know, like a lot of things that we write, we don't necessarily answer questions. We are just asking more questions. And we're exploring and it's interesting that you use the word authenticity. It's a great question, it's a valid question. I'm not sure that authenticity really comes into black cake. It's interesting, there's a kind of debate. So you have one character, Marble, who is sort of a specialist in foods that are truly indigenous. In other words, she likes to feature in her shows and books foods that are considered local, traditional, and thereby what we might call indigenous, or at least they've been around for a couple thousand years or a thousand years. So you might call Marble the champion of authenticity, but not really. She doesn't mean to suggest that the other traditional foods are less worthy. She's just fascinated by the ones that have been around forever in one particular region of the world. Then you have another character, Benny, who is fascinated by the foods that could only exist because of a mixing of traditions. So you again use the word authenticity. Are those foods any less authentic? Is the black cake, which is really an evolved descendant of the English plum pudding by way of colonialism, forced labor, and the rum and sugar economies, any less authentic? It's certainly no less joyful in the present day 
people love this. It means Christmas time in particular. It means weddings. It means, oh, any excuse to make one. But the history, what the, the other character, Benny, looks at is the idea that the traditions mix, and that's what we call the diaspora of food. Food is this kind of a language or message or channel that brings culture along a current where it meets another current from another culture, whatever the reason. And then you have a new tradition. So when you talk about authenticity, I would say the word that comes up most often in Black Cake, the novel, and not only in reference to food, but also in terms of some cultural references and ideas of the roles we assign to people of different races or skin colors you mention, is tradition. And at a certain point, one of the characters, that's Benny's brother Byron, talking about something else says, whose tradition is it? And so that's how the novel Black Cake and the various characters grapple with the idea of authenticity. It's a question that keeps coming up in the novel Black Cake. Whose tradition is it? Or is it a tradition? And one of the answers is, well, you know, one of the answers is, it may be a tradition. It might just not be, in the case of food, a traditional local food that has been around for more than a certain number of years, as one of the characters defines it. So I think I'm wading into the waters there and beginning to answer your question, but I don't know if I fully addressed that whole question of authenticity. No, I think you have, especially because I, I push against that idea of authenticity. I'm glad you kind of butted up against it, especially when it comes to food, because there was a part in the book, and I'm not quite sure who says this. I didn't I didn't write down the quote, but it's she says the recipe comes from a mixing of different cultures, different cultures. Well, what does she think the Caribbean is anyhow? And I think that that's what you were saying about food is that, you know, they can come from many different cultures. These foods, black cake, can come from so many different cultures. But yeah, I don't think the question is authenticity. So yes, again, I'm glad you kind of butted up against that. So I just wanted to touch on when you talked about authenticity and the idea of, well, if you use the term race, which not everyone does, but we know what we're talking about. We're talking about a social construct. So the idea of people who identify as or look black, so you have a number of characters who are linked, most of them in, in the same family, and they don't look alike, but they identify in similar ways. And so for people, for example, for one character, Benny, who identifies as black or African-American, but who is treated with suspicion because of her appearance, or another character who identifies as black, but who doesn't really look black, so again, people actually are ignorant or discount his cultural identity, whereas he does not. That's one of the issues where the idea of authenticity comes into play and goes back to your previous question of, you know, these are people who have their identity. There is no one way to be black. And people who identify as or look black, and I make that distinction because it's different in the novel, have their own sense of identity, but they have multifaceted lives. And they're very different one from the other. But there's a common sense of identity or similar preoccupations, as well as different preoccupations and aspirations. 
Your novel centers two estranged siblings, Benny and Byron, and it's after the death of their mother, who we've talked about, Eleanor, that Benny and Byron are forced to reunite, to confront Eleanor's histories, what was hidden from them as they were children. And it's Eleanor's voice and these histories that you're diving into that sort of propels this novel forward. I'm wondering, what propelled you as you were writing this novel? What kept you writing? through its many traumas and, and the many thematic threads that, that holds it together? I think that I uh, began to see a whole story forming, and I just followed it in the way that we follow people when we meet them and learn things about them. Let's say I meet you today, and then I run into you another month from now or a year from now, and you give me an update on what you're doing or what's going on with the show. In that same way, once I begin to see a story in a kind of a wheel in my head, in which I see the different characters living their lives, I just go in and visit them and follow them. And then I learn more, because I'm not one of those people who says, okay, this is what I'm going to write about, and this is exactly what's going to happen. I kind of see the story, but then I discover new dimensions as I write. What keeps me writing? Well, certainly now the privilege of being able to write fiction, which is something I've wanted to do for years, but really only gotten around to focusing on in the past several years. Black Cake is, as we've been talking about, it's about inheritance. And literally, it's about the many lives that Eleanor Bennett has led. But it also seems to me to touch on the idea of the space between people, um, the distance that keeps one person from truly knowing or understanding another person. How do you think about that idea, about that distance? The distance is about empathy. I don't want to say that it means a lack of empathy, because it sounds as though it's a judgmental phrase, but the distance is about people not quite being able to see or guess what is going on in other people's lives. And that's the human condition, isn't it? It's natural. And I think this is one of the gifts that fiction gives to us. It allows us to explore characters and follow them and listen to them in ways that, I don't know about you, but I'm not always listening or following people in my everyday life. It happens. And so going back to that idea of distance, you have people who found that the distance between them was growing over the years because there were a series of misunderstandings. But there's also the emotional side. Ultimately, people who are afraid of being hurt, of being rejected, of finding that the understanding they are seeking may not come. And so that distance continues to grow. And again, I think it comes down to empathy. The, the younger generation not fully understanding what the older generation went through, the older generation not fully seeing what the generation after them wants out of life, partly out of fear. You know, the older generation wants to take care of the younger. The younger generation wants to be seen. And I think that's, again, that's a universal. And that's true in the story Black Cake both in the past, where you have these teenage girls, and in the present, where you have Byron and Benny. If you're just joining us, you are listening to a conversation with novelist Charmaine Wilkerson. I'm Lauren Korn. 
This is the right question. Our full conversation can be found online at mtpr.org, where you can also subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There's a question that is asked by characters throughout the novel, and it it has to do with survival and it has to do with success and ultimately, I think, love, which is deep at the heart of this novel, I think. But the question is, what are you willing to do? And so, Charmaine, I'm wondering, in writing this novel, how did you personally confront that question? What were or are you willing to do? Well, certainly that is an extremely personal question. And the one answer I can give you that when it comes to writing, writing fiction and writing a novel like this is something that interested me for years. And so it really took a reorganization of my own lifestyle and also attitude in order to allow myself to simply express ideas through this medium, which is fiction. And certainly that would be a question, what are you willing to do? I think at its core for a lot of writers, it's uh, are you willing to trust yourself and just put it down on the page? And second, are you willing to separate out the need to tell stories in this form? Because we all tell stories, we're all storytellers. The need to tell a story in this form from the privilege of having someone else say, let me help you publish it. Because in my case, that was the, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to keep going, keep writing, keep learning, because writing is a learning process, and persevere with your vision, not knowing what will happen? Because art in any form, music, dance, um, visual art, writing, is one, an exploration of ideas and the self, and two, the beginning of a conversation with other people. So let me try to distill that. The bottom line is you might write, and that could make you happy, but you might never get published. Of course, now there are new avenues. But what is the difference? One is a kind of conversation with the public or other readers, the writing, the publishing. The other is a part of your identity. If your way of telling stories and exploring the world must involve the sitting down and writing of ideas, that's a separate process from the publishing of those ideas. And depending upon where you are in your life, in terms of your finances, in terms of your education, your other responsibilities, are you willing to keep writing anyway? if nothing else is going to happen. And so that might be the way in which I ask that question of myself. What are you willing to do? You need to honor what must be done to maintain your own health in terms of mental vitality. You need to be willing to ask tough questions of the world and not have the answers, which is often what we do in fiction. And you need to appreciate the joy in life, which is, ooh, that was great. I wrote that scene. Wasn't that fun? You know, or, oh, I like that character. Or isn't that an interesting turn of phrase? And separate that out from the external world of 
than sharing it with other readers, although that's what I wanted to do. I love reading. I love books. I wanted to share my stories with other people. Yes, I'm not sure I'm really answering your question in a way that makes sense, but I would say that's it for me. There's another phrase that actually repeats itself, though not as much in the book. It's the beauty of a thing justified its plunder. And you write that in context to a character, Covey, and her father. And I'm wondering if you could parse that phrase for me. The beauty of a thing justified its plunder. Well, now, having tried to sound perfectly coherent throughout this conversation, I need to admit (laughs) (laughs) that when I write, I don't know where half of this stuff comes from. That's what the wonderful (laughs) thing about writing is your your subconscious is feeding you information. And it's a you talk about parsing, it's a distillation, I guess, of so many things that come from the world around you, the things you've seen, the things you've heard. So yes, this relates very directly to this relationship between father and daughter in the past and and the ideas of what can happen. But the first time it appears, it appears in reference to a piece of driftwood. And I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but it's a piece of driftwood and people keep pilfering little pieces from this large piece of driftwood. Why? Because it's beautiful, because they want a piece of it, because they want to take it home. And that happens with so many things. And that was the first time that the phrase, the beauty of a thing justifies its plunder. And that has something to do with this reaction to what is perceived as beauty or desirability. And so people chip off pieces of the driftwood, uh, which is beautiful in and of itself where it is. And so going back to what I said about it just coming to me, it just reemerged. I did not set out to use this phrase, I think three times, in the novel. It came about because of the driftwood. And then it came back. And I think that happens to us in our lives anyway. We recognize metaphors and symbols and ideas and triggers of ideas. But we don't always plan them. We see them later. Maybe now is a good time to read an excerpt from Black Cake. Will you read something from the novel? Sure, thank you. We've already talked about Byron and Benny, the brother and sister, who must listen to their mother's voice recording and understand why she has left them a small black cake, sitting in her freezer with the cryptic instruction to share the cake when the time is right. They don't know yet what's going to happen. But Byron and Benny at the start of this novel are a brother and sister who were once inseparable. They just adored one another. But because of the distance to which you referred earlier in the interview and the the various misunderstandings, they haven't seen each other in years. So I'm just going to read from an early scene where they meet for the first time. This is from 2018, Byron. She's here. Byron hears the elevator doors peel open. His first instinct is to rush toward his sister and embrace her. But when Benny leans in to hug him, Byron pushes her away, then turns to knock on the door to the attorney's office. He feels Benny put a hand on his arm. He shakes it free. Benny stands there, her mouth open, but says nothing. And what right does she have to say anything? Byron hasn't seen Benny in eight years, and now their ma is gone for good. 
What does Benny expect? She took a family argument and turned it into a cold war. Never mind all that talk about societal rejection and discrimination and whatnot. It seems to Byron that whatever kind of problem you have in this world, you can find someone to show you understanding. And times are changing. There's even been a study in the news recently about people like Benny. People like Benny. The study says it can be a lonely road for people like her, but she won't be getting any sympathy from Byron, no. Benedetta Bennett gave up that luxury years ago when she turned her back on her family, even though she claims it was the other way around. I do have a couple questions that I ask all of my headlines. One being, you know, we've talked about a lot and a lot about the novel, but I do like to give the authors who appear on the show space to talk about something that we, you and I, haven't talked about yet, or something perhaps that you anticipated being asked about the novel, but you haven't yet been asked. I, I want to give you that space to talk about what you wish to talk about. Thank you. That's really um, great. I am going to come back to a question which you asked about what surprised me uh, when people were reading the novel. It was that they picked up on a thing that was structural, that is very close to my heart in terms of the way in which I write stories. But I wasn't sure if that would actually keep this book from being published. And that has to do with the fact that I write the story primarily in very short chapters and I jump around from one person to the other. And that may not work for everyone, but I was pleasantly surprised to see how many people really appreciated that. And that kind of comes back to the idea of empathy. Can you just jump into someone else's skin for a moment? Don't judge them. We might not do as they do, but um, let's just try to see the world from that point of view. So I was pleased. I think it's also, Interesting to note that this particular novel, you raised the fact that a number of people in the novel Black Cake either are perceived as black or identify as black. There are other people of color as well. And what I thought was interesting about this novel that I hope adds to the conversations about our world is the fact that these characters are just living their lives the way in which they identify, the way they look, that can play a role in their lives. It's important. But they have different aspirations. They have different disappointments and interests. They're living multifaceted lives. They're living a variety of lives. And I think it sort of uh, backs up the, the statement made by other people, I'm not the first, that there is no one way to be black. There is no one way to be a woman. There is no one way to be someone from a specific country, for example. So if literature can do something going forward, it's to to recognize the multifaceted nature of any group of people, which we tend to describe as you or them or they, whatever the description, just anyone who seems to be in a group that might be different from the group with which you identify, if you think that you are different from other people in your group or collective, then always imagine that of other people. And I'm hoping that the novel Black Cake reflects a little of that. You know, you have all of these different people and they're all different and they don't even get along with one another. So, um, (laughs) 
So th that's something that I was hoping would survive from the writing of Black Cake to the conversation with other writers, and I'm glad to see that it has. Thank you, Charmaine, for joining me. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking with you, and uh, I hope we get to meet again in cyberspace or real life. You've been listening to The Right Question. The show is produced by Peter Hogue and me. I'm your host, Lauren Korn. Our recording engineer is Tom Barich. Our artwork was designed for The Right Question by Molly Russell, and our music was written and recorded by John Floridis. Funding for The Right Question is provided by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. Many thanks to Humanities Montana for supporting this program since 2008. And thank you for listening. The Right Question is a production of Montana Public Radio.